Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. This is your co-host, Zena Island, and today's topic is a change is coming. So one change we're having right now, Mac has joined us on this show. McKeever, as you know, uh, he launched uh, his own show under the Get Found, Get Funded umbrella. So um, he wanted to join us to talk about this very special topic, uh, which I will get into in a moment. So, so Mac, would you like to say hello? How's it going, everybody? Happy to be here. Welcome, welcome. Hope to do more shows like this with you. In studio, we have change maker Erica Banks. Erica Shizumu Banks specializes in equity and inclusion, women's entrepreneurship, community building, and personal development. She is the co-founder of Beacon, where Christina and I are board members. Um, Beacon is the DC Women's Founders Initiative. Her work has been featured in outlets such as Adweek, Huffington Post, and Technically. Erica is also an investor, and advertise, av excuse me, advisor to startups, small businesses, and nonprofits across the country. Erica, my sister, colleague, <laughs> and my all-around superhero, we are so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. You know, at first I was like, oh gosh, you know, a little nerve-wracking doing a, an episode of a podcast, but then I realized I'd be here with friends, and yeah. it just made it all the more exciting and relaxed. So thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited yeah, to Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you for being here. And one thing I want to add, I am in shock that you and Mac, even though you do a <laughs> lot of similar things in terms of the entrepreneurship piece, you've never met. So... Mac, meet Erica, <laughs> Erica, meet Mac, but somehow we're going to make a face-to-face -face connection. It's wonderful to meet Great you. Great to meet you. Definitely heard about your work, so thanks for all that you do. I appreciate that, and same for you. Thank Everywhere you. I can go, I hear a beacon. Uh, I've worked with many of founders who are connected to beacons. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Keeping the community growing. That's yeah. what we do. That's awesome. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about your professional journey and what you what led you to become such a big advocate for women and specifically women in entrepreneurship. So my background's actually in environmental policy. I majored in it in undergrad and grad school, worked for the government at different levels, um, state, regional, federal. Um, and, um, you know, uh, appropriately enough, uh, my trajectory changed because of the government shutdown of 2013. Mm -hmm. And as we know how folks' lives are being a bit upended by our current shutdown, uh, it definitely changed the trajectory of mine in that um, I was looking for a political appointment to return to after I left the mm -hmm. Obama administration um, and went to grad school, and my opportunities to reenter were delayed. 
And you know, as many you know, as many women of color, I'm black. I'm Japanese. I'm first generation American on my mom's side. I uh, grew up in a pretty working class family. Um, I couldn't afford to wait that out. Right. Um, so I changed careers. Mm. And when I left, uh, when I left grad school at Oxford, um, I, I had the opportunity to join Google almost immediately after. So I pounced on that and uh, started my first shift, which was into uh, recruiting. And from there, I realized I missed policy. I also missed DC, even though I'm a California girl. So moved back to DC to work on the legal team at Google, uh, where I do patent policy work. Um, but 2016 came along. And uh, there were so many instances of police brutality mm. uh, that were, you know, widely documented that started much-needed conversations, you know, in communities big and small, including at our company. And uh, because of those conversations where we had real heart-to-hearts uh, with our team members, um, the director at the time of my team asked me to help him develop diversity and inclusion initiatives specifically for our, um, our, our team on legal uh, patent policy. Now, most folks will think of patents and think, you know, intellectual property, it's very technical, it's pretty cut and dry in a way. Um, but there are equity issues embedded in every institution in our country and in every industry. Mm -hmm. And so we recognized, you know, as a part of that conversation that we had, was that we have a role to play and, in fact, a responsibility, even mm -hmm. within our industry, even within the team of our industry, you know, which is wi more widely tech, to have influence to use our influence to make an impact. So we came up with several initiatives, and one of them was a, an initiative to support women's entrepreneurship. So at the same time I'm drafting a proposal <laughs> for a women's entrepreneurship project, Alex Givens, uh, the executive director of Georgetown Law's Tech Policy Institute, reaches out to my team, um, as she's a patent lawyer uh, in a past life. Um, she reached out to our team with a proposal to support women entrepreneurs in DC, and to specifically address you know, the representation issues and the access and right. equity issues facing uh, women of color in DC. In DC, that's, you know, or women entrepreneurs as a whole. Um, and in DC, you know, it was a majority black city for a long time. It's still majority black in terms of largest concentration of one demographic. So when we talk about women's issues in DC, we're talking about black women's issues. Right. Yeah. And there are very few mm -hmm. opportunities, unfortunately, I think, in, in normal conversation to get people to recognize that women, when we think of women, that doesn't just mean white women. Right. But in DC, we have that opportunity to not just speak to our community of black women, but to allow that example of applying that term to the women that actually live in the city at a wider scale mm -hmm. and get people to recognize women should really mean all women. So mm -hmm. when we're out here to support women entrepreneurs, it needs to look like all women. Mm -hmm. um, so Alex uh, and I talked about that, recognized that, and um, brought this proposal to life as a public-private partnership mm -hmm. among, um, among Google, among Georgetown Law, and the city of DC. Wow, so I, I actually did not, yeah. I, go ahead, Mac. I'm sorry, I know we were about to like jump right in what you've done at Beacon and what you're doing in D.C., but real quick, after listening about your background, I had a question around having gone through all these amazing experiences and worked in all these amazing places, how has being a woman of color in places of, like, going to school at Oxford and working at Google, where you don't see a lot of representation like yourself, helped shape your viewpoint as you do the work that you do today? 
You know, that's a great question. It's really interesting because um, I had the opportunity to be on Angie Ange's morning show a few weeks back talking about women in business. And uh, we actually ended up talking mostly about Oxford and about environmental policy and these different issues because I think um, the, it's, I, I, I sometimes forget how unique that path mm-hmm. is, right. especially for women of color in the sense that I think many of us especially in this room, Zena, Christina, we're used to being the only ones. Mm-hmm. We're used to being, you know, in a sense, tokenized. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also uh, used to code switching Absolutely. in that role, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not not allowing ourselves to notice or say anything about it because mm-hmm. it's like, we'll just get through the situation, hopefully it gets better. But going to an institution like Oxford where the stratification was just so visceral and palpable and pretty punishing, Mm -hmm. um, it made me really angry in a way that uh, allowed, that anger was actually very beneficial in that it was sort of the first time that um, these issues were so up in my face uh, that that I couldn't help but care, talk about them, it was, you know, I think my identity, and I identify as black, I totally represent represent as both, um, you know, black and Asian, but, you know, I recognize, I'm a a member of both communities, and that's always been a part of my identity, Mm -hmm. that's been a part of my personal journey, and it's informed the work I've done um, in many ways. I worked on environmental justice specifically, which addresses racism in how laws to protect the environment, to protect health, are administered. Um, So that's always been a part of my background. But going to Oxford was a turning point for me in that I was upset. <laughs> and I couldn't help but not, you know, but talk about these things mm-hmm. from now on. And instead of, you know, having a kind of foundational background but kind of institutionalized um, approach to addressing equity issues, um, it became something I was also personally vocal about. Um, and so I took the opportunity in a place that was more positive where I felt like I could affect more change to um, you know, to really make that transition from anger to you know productivity uh, possible at Google. Do Do you think the anger goes away? Because I th- I think that's you used the word punishing, and I was like, wow, that's a really good way of explaining kind of the situation. Because it, sometimes it does feel punishing, especially when you're the only one, and you want to advocate. You're tired sometimes, it, but there's justice justice that needs to be served. So, like, does the anger go away? Absolutely not. (laughs) It doesn't go away, but I think it's um, it's tempered by hope. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, as when I was younger and sort of coming up, um, I was really fortunate in some ways to be in environments where you know, for for example, for the most part, except for one job, I've always had a woman boss. Mm, That's see. And even when it when that woman has not you know shared the same ethnicity as me, um, having that shared identity. At least something, one thing that shared. Was so much. Yeah, yeah. And just the approach to leadership, the mm-hmm. approach to mentorship, and also the understanding of what I was going through because, you know, they had been through the same thing at some point um, in terms of g- gender in the workplace. Right, right, right. Uh, there was some empathy there mm-hmm. and some understanding. So I've been really fortunate to be in those positions um, to, be, to have those folks as leaders in my life. But... Um, and so there was a hope that it would get better because mm-hmm. I had this model, at least in that sense. And I think, you know, something to admit is that there was a bit of, there there was also a, a sense of limitation 
in terms of the race and ethnicity side of just being used to and comfortable and not having high expectations mm -hmm. about seeing more people like me, more black women like mm -hmm. me in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And just hoping it'll get better, it'll get incrementally better, and right. maybe that'll just be enough. But then going to a place like Oxford where, you know, the UK, they abolished slavery before the US, but at the same time, in terms of, you know, American, the form of slavery that took place in America, they started it. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting to see how that mindset mm -hmm. was still very prevalent, even though on it on its face, right. like this is what progress looks like, right? right? This is a modern, integra more integrated, more liberal institution as a country, and yet it was so stiflingly um, stratified. Right. And so seeing that, okay, that that hopefulness and incremental change is not going to be enough because then I'm at an, a place like this where there's been plenty of time for that change to happen, and it hasn't happened. So I guess it's time to speak up. And I think now when I see that similar dynamic in other places, I am more willing to, to yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, so the anger is tempered by hope uh, to bring love it back that. full circle. And you know, no, we, ta we, we talk a lot about equity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what does it really mean to be inclusive? So you kind of explained a little bit, but how do we move from buzzword to actual, no kidding, equity and inclusion? Right, I, you know, I hear, an analogy for this that I think is pretty good, but is not um, as serious perhaps as it should be, mm -hmm. uh, where you know diversity is inviting everyone to the party, mm -hmm. but inclusion is inviting everyone to dance, and not keeping folks on the sideline. I think that's a very you know that's a kind of generalized, easy way to see things to to define this, but it's a little too positive, um, because these are serious issues. And well, you can be at the dance and not actually dance. You don't ever get on the dance floor, right? right? So you can still be at the party and watching from afar. So right. even though you're included in the room, you may not feel like you can actively participate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we think it does a good job of explaining that. Mm -hmm. But diversity, equity, inclusion are still seen as nice to haves. Mm -hmm. And I think that example of like the positive, you know, it's a party, yep. that's a nice to have. You know, so I would love to see a more widely circulated <laughs> analogy that that plums the depths of this a little more. But to start, I think that's that's where we start. Um, so inclusion is meaningful participation, and then the equity piece is not just meaningful participation, but parity, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of compensation, in terms of access to these opportunities, and um, then diversity, of course, is you know the having a variety of people at the table, um, and especially in terms of race and ethnicity and gender. Um, and sexual orientation. Um, there are so many. There are so many other very important identities and intersectionalities right. that should be included in that. Um, but I think, in terms of you know the stats, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the biggest gaps between who has access and who doesn't, uh, the the largest divides are along uh, race and gender. Absolutely. So I think let's go back up because I, I want to talk about the vision of Beacon and really talk about how you helped co-found it while you're working at Google and co-founding and getting Google to actually support this initiative. So can you talk about the early vision of Beacon and how you and Alex came together to create this amazing initiative? Sure, happy to. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned before, I was um, you know, in my in my cube at Google, uh, drafting up a proposal on how to support women women of color, specifically entrepreneurs, um, in my region, where I could have direct impact in the DC area, and uh, thinking about you know access issues, thinking about how do we 
hit each part of this mm-hmm. diversity. So representation, inclusion, what does that meaningful participation look like? But then equity. So how do we restore equity in this space? What are the gaps? How do we close them? Um, how do we address parity? If that's in terms of funding, if that's in terms of access to resources, um, networks, um, et cetera. And so was was drafting this proposal, but also questioning, okay, you know, I've never, I've, I have not worked in, you know, quote unquote business. Sure, I work at a company, but I work in the legal department. And before that, I worked in, in our uh, people operations, what we call our human resources department. Mm-hmm. Um, so did not exactly have that experience, but, you know, I had policy experience. So what kind of structure can I lend to that? Um, so really, you know, wanting to make sure that this initiative would actually serve mm-hmm. the audience it's meant to. Right. And <laughs> that, that, you know, the folks who would be leading this initiative would have some investment and experience um, to to be truly helpful to to the folks we want to serve. Um, so at the same time, Alex was uh, developing this proposal with two friends, um, Anna Mason and Shana Glenzer, mm-hmm. who are in different aspects of the, the business and finance and tech world. So Anna is a partner at Rise of the Rest. Mm-hmm. She brings that VC investment insight um, and had worked in and on Wall Street before that. And Shana is chief mar- has been chief marketing officer for several startups mm-hmm. in the area and is really uh, deeply enmeshed in the DC tech community. So when I saw Alex's proposal, um, and learned that they were a part of it. I was like, okay, this is perfect because you know it has that structure. It reaches the audience I was hoping to reach, but it has the kind of bona fides of like the institution of Georgetown mm-hmm. and the participation of the city. Hoya Saxa, sorry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and the bona, fi- bona fides of having folks who actually work in you know areas related to entrepreneurship mm-hmm. directly. Um, so was really happy that all of those elements came together. And I think it's important to note too, and sort of as a disclaimer, Beacon is now a nonprofit and that status was achieved last year. Uh, but for the first almost two years, it operated as a public-private partnership, right. a, an initiative of Google and Georgetown and the city. And that was interesting in that, um, you know, well, kind of selfishly, it allowed me to work and get paid by Google to work on that initiative, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, but I think what a lot of folks uh, may not know about public-private partnerships or corporate sponsorship is that, um, yes, while it usually amounts to, you know, basically Beacon was funded almost entirely by Google during this time, which was great, uh, but it also opens up the organization or the partnership and its partners to different resources Mm -hmm. that a lot of folks may not realize corporations have, like event space, Mm -hmm. like networks, like insight into programs um, and initiatives that um, are developing that are relevant to the audience you're serving and having that direct access to what seems like a black box for Mm -hmm. most people um, I think is is really helpful and so it was really important to me to during that sponsorship period to really leverage Mm -hmm. all of those resources um, for the initiative and uh, so once we became a nonprofit uh, that changes things a little bit in that, you know, we are now open to funding from all sorts of sources. So if you're interested in donating to Beacon, please do. Um, and that's and that's also a, a wonderful opportunity and, um, and an, you know, a formalization in a way that I think folks still don't recognize that public-private partnerships or sponsorships can be. Mm-hmm. So that's an important development. Um, but I do, uh, you know, I would, I love to extol the virtues of, of that, <laughs> of that system because I think uh, not enough folks are aware of it. Absolutely. And that's another helpful, you know, resource. 
I have to say this. I met um, Erica at a Google event. I was introduced to her, you by Chanel. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I Chanel do. Chanel Hardy, uh, another Googler, as you all call them. Yes. And I remember uh, that Chanel told me you were interested in becoming a part more, a more part of the female entrepreneurship community. And then I found out she was a patent <laughs> a policy uh, an analyst. I was like, okay, the two doesn't make sense <laughs> at all. So, but yet it does, it, right? If, well, you know, now it, now, if you know Erica. Now it all makes mm -hmm. sense listening to her. But um, just a, a thing about Beacon, um, when I was invited to be on the board, and I remember I had the phone call with um, Shana, and I, I'm going to say this, that, you know, Beacon was, you know, the, when the phone call came and it was from Shana, it, you know, I heard, I heard, you know, Anna's name, I heard Shana's name, and, and I didn't know Alex that well, but there were three white women. I was like, what is this about? You know, I had no idea, and they wanted me to be a part of this board. So I said, okay, I'll show up. So I did, and one of the things that I loved when mm -hmm. I was there is when Erica walked in yeah. and seeing her face. It's once again how we look for each other, it's a right? It's a sigh of, I don't even know the, the term, but you see it and you're like, okay. Okay. Right. Like safe. And, 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 and you mm -hmm. can now contribute as much as you need to because you might have an ally at the table. That's exactly how I felt. And, you know, I was honored to be a part of the board, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I felt safe. And I didn't, I didn't know really too much about Erica <laughs> at all. I just knew, you know, I, was, I met her through Chanel. So, um, and, and, and what has been great about being on this board is watching Beacon grow, mm -hmm. grow the community and how our board is very reflective of the community too mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, and I, I think my first introduction to Beacon wasn't actually through you yet. Mm -hmm. um, I went to, I think it was the National Women's Business Council uh, and Alex was on the panel delivering mm -hmm what Beacon was, but she was talking, they, the National Women's Business Council was actually delivering the entrepreneurial ecosystem model that day. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I said, Beacon is amazing. And then you and I were talking and you were like, oh, I'm on the board of Beacon. I was like, whoa. And so all the things came together. And I, I the first year I wasn't on the board, I, or first two, just watching Beacon and contributing and being part of the environment and just watching the engagement of entrepreneurs and business owners. And like you mentioned, the public-private partnership, we work and others, just contributing so much, it, the energy was amazing. So do you think you've accomplished, in those first two years, do you think Beacon accomplished what the initial vision was? Yeah, that, answer that first, because I know that what's, what's to come will be more. You know, I think we've made a lot of progress towards our goal. Um, you know, we had sort of the lofty, more almost like a tagline mm -hmm. um, mission of making DC the number one city for women entrepreneurs. And you know, that's subjective. Um, I definitely think we're up there uh, because, you know, we have such an amazing community to start with. Absolutely. Right? We have one of the most educated um, populations in the country. We have some of the most entrepreneurial people in the country. Um, and, you know, we have folks, you know, to get into business, it's expensive, right? And we have folks who, especially for black women, it's... Um, I think the highest salaries of black women per capita were definitely on that list. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're in the top five there. So those elements were in place already. Um, it was about kind of bringing them together as a community around women's entrepreneurship and not just recognizing women entrepreneurs, but the organizations that support women right, entrepreneurs, right. excuse me, women entrepreneurs as we do with the grant that um, the city gives us to distribute. So, um, so I do think we've made huge strides towards that. I think. Uh, we've identified, uh, thanks to our fellow Dolores Wilson's report, you know, we've identified 
okay, what are the components, building on that entrepreneurial ecosystem model from the National Women's Business Council, what are the real components that make a city supportive for, mm-hmm. for women entrepreneurs? What are those elements? And we, we, I'm really proud of the way that we distilled those elements because that came from the community. So before we did any work, um, before we you know, truly organized, you know, had met too many times as a board, we'd organized community roundtables. Mm-hmm. And so from those roundtables, we heard consistently across the board, we need access to resources in this form. We want mentors, right? We want, uh, we want to know what, what funding avenues there are. But at the same time, even before we get that funding, I need to know what to do with it. Um, so we built our four pillars around that. And I think defining those elements has been really important and has allowed other folks to, um, to sort in different cities and different communities and organizations to analyze their specific ecosystem um, to see what elements need to be uh, recognized in that. And I think that foundational piece is huge and had not really been done before. Um, And so in addressing our four pillars of equity and access, increasing access access to capital, um, increasing access to resources and networks, uh, business strategy and development, and then educating the next generation, we've made huge strides. Um, and I and it's it, I see progress and I think we've made it when I you know I'm walking down the street and someone will say oh my are you Erica Banks <laughs> and I'm like who wants to know right? depends <laughs> right <laughs> and they're I like from Beacon I've heard all about yeah, Beacon yeah. my friend's a business owner I'm an aspiring business mm-hmm. owner and you've been a great resource already right and you know that's how we know you know that's how you know we've made it. Yeah, right. and success. And I know Mac is on the phone, and he's in a sister city in Baltimore. And I know that we, you know, we've worked on partnerships there. So Mac, do you want to chime in on your side? Yeah. So as a, a fellow ecosystem builder, you know, there's always the, you know, we're always trying to tackle a lot of things at once because the problem's so large, right? And I appreciate the four pillars and the focus, but those four four pillars can each be broken out to their own individual four pillars for each one of those, right? right. And so that always That's becomes true. the struggle for, you know, an ecosystem building, because the ecosystem in itself is such a big thing. But I wanted to ask you, Erica, for you, what's been the most frustrating thing over these two years as you've mm-hmm. built out Beacon and, and seen it grow and see it grow within D.C.? What have been the things that have frustrated you the most as you've tried to, to build out this vision and this mission? You know, that's such a good question. It's a hard question. Um, it's a really good question, Mac. And um, I think you're right in that every one of those pillars could definitely be its own organization. I think it's been really cool to see by highlighting those pillars, to see organizations that have come up or had the opportunity mm-hmm. to you know, partner with us, to get more clients, to reach a wider audience because they do work on those issues and because it hadn't been identified as a component of the ecosystem, right. we're not able to leverage uh, you know, the audience, they, the, the area they serve as much. So um, that's been really important. And I think, you know, going forward into the future of Beacon, it'll be a really important question as to, okay, we've made so many strides and made so much progress in these areas. Like, is this, you know, how do we, how do we really move on that? Um, and, you know, in, in some instances, maybe more focus is, is the way to go. Um, because it, it does get a little unwieldy, right? Mm-hmm. Like working on these broad issues that it impacts so many, which is a huge gift, but a lot of responsibility as well. And so many people have been working in this space for a long time. And another, I'd say, you know, another important piece 
of Beacon's mission has always been to elevate existing organizations and resources right. and really amplify existing voices in the space who are underrepresented or underheard. Um, you know, no one is silent in this, um, but maybe had not been listened to. And that that is a huge, I'd say that's, that is also core to our mission. And I think in that we've definitely achieved that. Um, and so if we do see more organizations that do specialize, that's a win and that's great. So, but in terms of frustration, I think, you know, working in coalition, working in community is always dif difficult mm -hmm. um, because while you may be aligned in this one initiative's goals, every party brings their own interests, their own direction, their own kind of purpose to the table. And it's always a dance, a delicate balance act of bringing those elements together to achieve your common goal uh, while still respecting the validity and necessity of, of each party um, having their own interests. But, um, you know, more beyond the front, beyond any frustrations, um, seeing our mission achieved and taken seriously um, and appreciated far overrides you know, any kind of conflict, any sort of, um, any frustration there's been working in this process. Um, I think one, one early thing that, that Zena did mention that I think is important to highlight is, uh, you know, seeing that three of the, three of the four co-founders are white women, um, I think was, had the potential to be very discouraging mm -hmm. to the very community we want to serve, mm -hmm. which is the women of DC who are black women. And so, I wanted to make sure to be more than just a more than just a face, um, and even in, in that managing that sponsor the sponsorship aspect, um, it was important to meaningfully play a role and not just be a funder, not just be a host of this, um, and really bring in um, both recognize uh, the women of color who are at the table with me and also bring in more. Um, and You've done so, a great job doing thank that. Thank you. Really yeah. Have. And I think, you know, the community has responded to that and mm -hmm. recognized that. And I think we've overcome a lot of those initial misgivings right. um, based on that uh, because of how, how we've grown and changed and, become, changed and become more reflective of our community. And I definitely think the, pu the pr public-private partnerships was critical to the early mm -hmm. success and I think the continued success going on. So how can other... If, if you had to give advice to another city that's looking to start a similar initiative, what advice would you give them in starting a Beacon Austin or a Beacon Chicago or a Beacon, I don't know, LA? Well, first, you know, follow our model <laughs> <laughs> of the four pillars. We have a, an amazing detailed report that you can access at thebeacondc.com uh, that outlines our pillars and our recommendations that are transferable across, you know, regions, see which ones apply the best for your particular city environment um, but also you know leverage leverage these leverage the presence of corporations in your communities and um, and going back to to how you know this seems kind of like a weird fit right women's entrepreneurship uh, diversity equity and inclusion in entrepreneurship through a patent team but that was an opportunity and I think because folks did not make that creative connection between you know IP and entrepreneurship um, that allowed this proposal to see the light of day. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, other parts of the company are, and I'm sure this is similar for other companies, are inundated with proposals because it's just such a clear line, right, between what you want to do and what you think this company does. And I say, you know, think creatively and think in a nuanced way. 
Um, IP has to do with innovation. It has to do with technical topics of patents. But it also, key to that is entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's an opportunity. And I hope that other companies see that as an opportunity. And I want to back up a little bit when you were talking about being the sponsor and also being highly involved um, in, in, uh, on the board of the organization you're sponsoring. It's rare you see that, number one. The only other person I know who has done that, I've worked with a lot of different sponsors, is um, Pamela Alexander over at Ford, Ford Motor Company. Mm -hmm. She's very much involved in a lot of her initiatives, and I know you are on one of the, um, your advisory board member for on one of those initiatives that mm -hmm. she brought here to Washington, D.C. called Her Impact. And um, I think that's very special to see a, a funder be so active and care so much about the community that they serve. Why is that? And I know you've explained a lot of it, talking about, you know, your background and the history of it. but. Why continue? Because being at Google is hard enough. I know that. And you know, you're working for a major corporation that is very well known, it's always in the press. And then at the same time, you're a part of a, a, another, a whole nother community. So, how, wh why are you doing it? And how are you doing it? Um, so, so, the why, you know, I didn't really connect the dots for myself until we had our first uh, round of uh, applications open for the grant mm -hmm. the first year. Um, and it made me recognize that actually the first entrepreneur I ever met was my mother. Mm. Mm. So my mom, we moved here from Japan uh, to marry my dad. She and my dad met when he was visiting Japan. They met at a party, became pen pals. And she came to... He brought her to the dance. He brought her to the dance, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, she and you know, this is kind of funny, but... Uh, but I think it's also important about, you know, this risk, this risk taking and seeing creative connections, I think, mm -hmm. is like a part of my blood because uh, my mom had never met an African-American person before in oh, her wow. life. Wow. And Japan's a very homogenous, socially conservative place. So it's not a popular decision for a Japanese woman to date or marry, you know, a black man or someone just out of the culture, period. Mm -hmm. um, and she took that risk and she made that leap across the ocean and uh, started a family in California. And she worked as a housekeeper. And that was something I was really embarrassed about when I was little. You know, that was so important, you know, to the financial health of our family. And it's really hard work. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I knew early on I was never going to do something like that. Like, I wanted to be in an office. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, um, and it wasn't until later that I appreciated, you know, what a sacrifice that was in terms of the manual labor involved, a sacrifice of her body, a sacrifice of her ego, mm -hmm. you know, no, that's, that's the truth of it is like, I'm sure she recognized that that was not the most, um, you know, like prominent position to have. It wasn't mm -hmm. a socially, uh, acceptable kind of job to have, um, so I really appreciate the sacrifices she made there. And then later I learned um, that it was a small business. I never connected the dots yeah. that actually this was her business. Mm. She was, you know, handling her taxes, doing that filing, all of that pretty much on her own wow. in addition to doing that work. Um, so she's the first model of a business owner that I'd ever met. And that work ethic, that, you know, that hustle, that sacrifice. That commitment. That commitment. Um, those values, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she lives that out in every aspect of her life, and I just have come to appreciate that more and more as I get older. Um, and it helped me recognize, you know, as well when in our work at Beacon, we don't have to just address, you know, startup founders in this. Mm -hmm. 
And entrepreneurs do not mean, you know, it does not mean that you've had to have launched a very successful professional, like, white-collar business or, you know, a software business or something like that. It's like, you know, we should honor every type of work in this. And I think we really do in that. We reach the small business, like, discreetly small business community, but we also reach, you know, founders. Um, We reach serial entrepreneurs, and we reach aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, And we reach women who work across industries and... You know, it started in my work at Google um, on a project to reach out to the black community of small business owners in D.C., but, you know, we also reach out to creatives, mm-hmm. and I think we often pigeonhole people based on their industry and cut them off from certain resources that they should be allowed to have because, you know, because if you're running a business, no matter what industry it's in, it's still a business. So all of those resources should be available to you, and so through her example, um, you know, it really reinforced that that piece about equity and access to me, and I try to live that. Um, so you asked me why I do this and then how I was able to mm-hmm. do that. And I think uh, DC is such a special place for this because I think everyone who works in this area recognizes that relationships are key. Yeah. Right. Yes, relationships are, are essential. Um, I think, you know, frustratingly in terms of finance and, uh, and, and VC especially, we say that in kind of a, a, a negative way, right? It's like, oh, it's all about who you know. Mm-hmm. And that's really frustrating because it's a small circle. It remains really exclusive, which is what we're trying to break up. Um, but in terms of getting things done on a daily basis, relationships and who you know here, it's an opportunity. Um, so I was able to do what I did because of that relationship I developed with my director. And he became not just you know a boss for me or a mentor, but a true sponsor. He put resources behind the ideas that I had and help them come to life. So that was absolutely key, and I don't think we would have, we would ha- any, I don't think any other team would have sponsored mm. an initiative like mm. Beacon. And I don't think he would have allowed me to work on that initiative yeah. uh, the way, um, the way that I was able to, you know, if, if anyone else had, had sponsored it. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that's great. And I th- you recently wrote an article, um, so we want to talk a little bit about, talk about that, about that. <laughs> but what, you know, you mentioned, I, I love what you mentioned about honoring every type of work. So the entrepreneur, the freelancer, the women in corporate America, the creatives. So we know that women and minority businesses are growing faster than ever. Um, I, you know, I was in corporate America now running my own business and to see someone else like myself doing that is just a testament to where we are right now. Um, we live in the best of times, right? There are mm-hmm. opportunities out there. But although it's not yet translating into overall funding or acquisitions or really growth, right, mm-hmm. when women are starting businesses, we still are obtaining less than 2% of venture capital um, and women of color even less than that. So let t- let's talk about your article because your prediction, <laughs> which I loved. I saw the headline. I was like, what? I love this, Erica. I love it. I Thank love it. You. It was great. You stated that 2019 will be the year of women of color in tech. Yes. 2019 will be the year of women in color in tech. What led you to this? That's a bold statement. It's a bold statement, and it's awesome, and I love it. Thank you. What led you to that prediction? You know, part of it is um, reading the tea leaves, in a sense. There has been so much momentum and recognition as to the growth of Mm -hmm. specifically black women entrepreneurs in tech, but across Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. Um, I think the the latest stat is that black women are opening um, more than 250 businesses a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Significantly outpacing all other groups. And over time, the growth rate of black women businesses is 377%. Wow. 
So one is just wow. recognizing and respecting the real hustle and diligence and explosive growth there. Let, let's reflect on those numbers. 250 businesses a day, 377% growth. 250, 377. We've got to remember those next year when we talk about this to see how much growth people had. Yes. But like you were saying, you know, we're seeing the growth in businesses established and open, but we're not seeing revenue. Right. So, unfor- so unfortunately, the receipts of black women are, I, th- I think, about a third mm-hmm. of that of white women-owned businesses. Um, we're not seeing the investment level. Uh, it's so frustrating to have to repeat that stat over and over again, mm-hmm. but you know that's where it is. But I think there's there's both you know depth to that the negative there, and then also an unhighlighted positive. Um, the depth to that negative, I think, is you know we have to look at why are Black women starting businesses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because we are not satisfied. Mm-hmm. Anymore, it goes back to that anger and doing something about exactly. it. You can only be a token for so long. Right. And, and sometimes it doesn't show up as anger. Yep. It shows up as this doesn't fit, this yep. doesn't feel right. And yes, while things are going extremely well compared to everyone else's you know, checklist, yep. it's not going well to your soul checklist. And you've got to make a, a, a change. This is no longer serving me. It's no longer serving me. Um, I just want to, just side note a little bit, I went on a yoga retreat in Hawaii a couple weeks ago, and I've come away with all these amazing mantras. And one of them is, you know, get rid of what's no longer serving you. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of women of color entrepreneurs have been doing. Um, So corporate America is not reaching us. Um, Our options out there are not reaching us due to prejudice uh, about race, about gender. So we're going our own way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to recognize that. But I say 2019 will be the year and I'm very determined about that because one I think part of it is you know you put it out into the universe you have to articulate what you want in this world you know I I have not read the secret don't know how much that actually works but I do believe in manifesting in many ways I do think you know it puts us it's it's a it's a goalpost like throwing the flag out there I can't use too many sports metaphors because I don't really play sports but um, (laughs) we got to we have to put it out there to make it possible to actually have something to look forward to and work towards so yes at the outset of 2019 you know it's still early in terms of the data that has been gathered but there's so much momentum and there's so much growth and now it's time to activate that growth and so if we put that goalpost out there it's going to be the year that that's going to hold us accountable to make that happen so um in that, I think, going back to that unhighlighted positive, is that we are, as black women entrepreneurs, extremely resourceful mm-hmm. and creative in the way we make businesses, we make the two ends meet. In that, you know, a lot of these businesses and um, a lot of these even startups that our black women founders are starting, you know, they're private companies, um, they're not getting the funding, but you know what? They're getting clients and they're getting revenue and they're mm-hmm. running and they're existing. And I think what we don't recognize is the power in bootstrapping hmm. that so many of our founders are doing. And I think there's a way to actuate on that by not just looking at traditional sources of funding like VC investment, but also thinking about different ways to diversify that revenue stream, but also make it more um, consistent and get mm-hmm. those numbers larger. I think you know, cor- becoming a corporate supplier, not right. just looking into government contracting, also exploring that, but a really undertapped resource is corporate, right. um, becoming a corporate supplier. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think when we look at this question of women in tech 
and putting that goalpost out there, it's not just for investment, it's not just for receipts, but it's also about diversifying the sources and once again, opening those access way, you know, increasing access to these different um, sources of capital for our women entrepreneurs. And I think that is achievable. And also, you know, it's a recognition of this zeitgeist. I think part of it is recognizing the buildup, but also you don't want that moment to pass and miss it. Right. So I think we have to speak about how successful this is already. Um, and I know we probably have time. I could talk no, no, about no, no, this no, no, forever. No, no. But, uh, you know, we have to celebrate the successes made already. We have the $100 million New Voices Fund yes. from Sundial and Essence. We have Backstage Capital, yes. their $36 million fund. But we also have commitments from businesses and corporations to take on more excuse me, more suppliers mm -hmm. and to become clients of more uh, women of color businesses. And Melinda Gates initiated this new, um, this new, this new pledge for businesses to take on. Um, and there are so many more like that. The so Billion Dollar Fund. The mm -hmm. Billion Dollar Sarah Fund. Sarah Chen, mm -hmm. who's on the board of Beacon, exactly. is also, you know, co-founded. Yes, so, Michelle Borges. And, and Mac, wh what would you like to add to this conversation? Because I know you have your thoughts um, being up in Baltimore and also if you've had a, a good, you know, you, you've been out there um, seeing how black, in particular black female entrepreneurs are really trying to build their businesses and, you know, increase revenue. What, what are your thoughts about Erica's uh, bold statement that I absolutely love? I love the statement. I love what it stands for. I love what she's putting out there. Um, and I think everybody needs to understand that for that statement to become true, we all have to work together to see it happen. Yes. It can't just be what she's doing in D.C. with Beacon or what Takeo's doing here in Maryland. Like, the entire ecosystem has to work together for that to happen. And that also means us holding accountable, as Erica was mentioning, these potential corporate partners as well as government partners, holding them accountable to, to, to fulfilling the stats that they mentioned. Um, I've seen programs like this where corporate companies will say, hey, we want to have this goal of, you know, ordering from diverse companies, but then they get one or two companies to fill out the majority of that spend mm -hmm. and say, look, we reached our goal. Mm -hmm. Yes, you said you were going to spend $100 million and you spent that between two companies. Right. That's great, but that's, that's, not what we, that's not what we were looking for, right? So making sure that we're holding everybody in the community accountable and pushing forward. Um, and, and for you, Erica, what 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 do you think is the most critical thing that needs to happen in 2019 to see that vision come to life? I think it's exactly what you mentioned at the end there. It's it's that we have to resist the urge to tokenize. And I think that's been kind of an unexpected theme to all of this, but mm -hmm. recognizing we're the only one in that space, like that's great to be a trailblazer. How do you take it to the next level? You bring people along with you. We can't be the only faces in the room. You can't have just one, you know, diverse company in your supplier diversity program that you're actually doing business with. Um, so I think, like you said, it does take that, um, taking on this responsibility of, um, of, of bringing more folks in. And uh, whether that's really pressing companies to work with, with more um, you know, diverse business owners, uh, black business, black owned businesses, women owned businesses, um, I think a good sign is that this conversation isn't just an inside conversation anymore that right. we're having with ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's not just a, a lot of black women founders, or, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs being like, it's too hard because of these situations. Have you read about this? Or, or just, you know, 
black folks, only black folks supporting black owned businesses. I think there's a bit of a shift now where it's becoming um, more mainstream to recognize the need to support smaller businesses owned by women and people of color and to actually promote that as a positive and not as just a, com a community insider thing. Um, and so, you know, we have to pounce on that main final, that, you know, long overdue mainstream acknowledgement and not just say, okay, yes, get, get, you know, get a diverse company, get a diverse founder that you're working with, but, and here are 10 others mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they'll do a great right. job. Um, right. And really pushing that forward. I try to do that, you know, in my own work at Google. Um, I, I, and I, I think, you know, we've, we've all got to do our part in that. And don't bring just one name to the table, bring mm -hmm. several. So you also mentioned in the article that, you know, you thought DC was much of the center of growth and, you know, just at the, the center of this rise of women in tech, particularly in tech. So let's talk a little bit about why you think that. Um, well, you know, uh, not besides that. DC being such a great place, right? I know you are. I know. <laughs> There's a lot of amazing stuff going on in Maryland, and Mac. I'd love to hear more about what's going on specifically in Baltimore as well. Um, but I think you know, it's like I mentioned before that DC does have this interest, interesting confluence of elements um, that you know that are ripe for developing business. Mm -hmm. um, I think too, you know, we're a bit of an underdog in this, so we've had the opportunity to develop really interesting partnerships and, um, and initiatives that, that would not see the light of day, get the kind of funding or attention they do here as they would in, you know, the Bay Area or right. New York. Right. And I think to a degree, those two places, there, there's, there's still obviously so much valuable value and literal capital in you know Silicon Valley in New York, but you know after pretty much two decades of dominating these industries, how far has the needle moved? Mm -hmm. So especially mm -hmm. for equity and inclusion exactly. and growth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. How diverse are these companies? Are these funds? And you know they've had a lot of and you know they're in like what we consider the most liberal parts of the country already. Right. So if we're not really seeing growth there, I think we need to look elsewhere in this space, and I think DC is the perfect confluence of that with our diverse population and our historically black community and our, you know, our, our financially successful community mm -hmm. and our creative community who are used to, um, you know, being interdisciplinary in right. the way they start businesses and what those types of businesses and services are. So there's just so much potential there uh, that you have the opportunity to start something new, to start something small, mm -hmm. but then get massive attention, a lot of um, buy-in, mm -hmm. and that opportunity doesn't exist in, in Silicon Valley or in New York. And, you know, so in D.C., I think just the last two years, and we've witnessed just the growth of Black Girl Ventures with Shelly Bell yeah. and Village Capital, Ebony Pope, who was mm -hmm. on the show. Um, Shelly's been on the show as well. Shelly's been on the show, 1863 with Melissa, who's actually Melissa, been on the show she's been on the as show well. well. Rashana Novellis, um, who you know, has a platform out now where she's actually lending money to mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and richer. Mm -hmm. um, and three, we haven't had Aaron on the show yet, but we'll, we'll get him on. Um, yes. Seed Spot, yes. you know, Seifer Grisham, who was on the show. Who else? Um, Vanetta Project. We haven't had Kelly and her team on, but we'll, we'll get them on. But so many people who, and Hera Hub, you know, yes. Julie, mm -hmm. who is all, also on the board of Beacon, who are really trying to build communities and work together. I think to Max point, you know, we've got to really, in, in order to make this work, we've got to come together, sponsor each other, support each other, 
um, and, and make some decisions that we haven't made in decades. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I want to talk about um, the importance of startups to understand how to use technology to grow their businesses and um, using tools like Google An Analytics. Mm -hmm. And one thing, and I, I'm going to put this out there, I have the G Suite, did not know how to use it until, I'm not kidding you, not properly, until Erica invited me to participate in a Google Analytics, and that was powered by Dartmouth, okay. and I learned how that effectively used my G Suite, and also how to use Google AdWords on mm -hmm. all these different tools. So I think it's important for entrepreneurs to understand how they use these particular tools. So what are your thoughts about that, Erica? Because I know, one of the reasons why a lot of entrepreneurs don't, don't know how to use it because we have so many things going on at one time. You know, we're right. running a business. We are also trying to take care of clients. We're also doing the day-to-day -day operations. And then you got to learn how to use different technology to grow your business. What are your thoughts on, you know, why this is important that we need to learn how to use it, uh, number one. And number two, how do we find the time? You know, because right. I just happened to, you know, you happened to invite me to be a part of that. Yeah, well, uh, one pitch for Google's uh, digital marketing coach, who's Shelly Bell. Yes. Uh, so we have a program called, uh, Google has a program called Accelerate with Google in which we've uh, placed coaches in key regions around the country who provide exactly the classes that you were talking about, Zena, for free um, regularly to different communities um, in their regions. And so in, in those, those classes, you'll learn you know, the basics of how to get your stuff online, how to get your business online, how to kind of optimize that, um, the importance of online advertising and how to utilize that and how to really speak to your audience and key practices around that. So you can check that out at accelerateWithGoogle.com. Um, but, you know, if you're not online, you're missing out on almost, mm -hmm. uh, you're missing out on, on your customers mm -hmm. completely. I think the latest stat I read, this might be a little old, but um, almost 80% of people are, are doing, are doing commerce, are buying online. And increasingly we're seeing them, them buy like everything. It's not just specialty items anymore, right? It's everyday things. Um, and an increase of services that you're booking online. So you're missing out on a huge audience if you're not online. I think specifically for the black community, 77% of our youth are, are buying online mm -hmm. and are doing almost all of their, are doing everything online. Mm -hmm. And on, not just online, but on their phone. So uh, one key advice, uh, piece of advice I have for entrepreneurs is to make sure that whatever online presence you have, it is also optimized for mobile. Um, that's key. Um, but I think, you know, it is difficult because there's so much to learn constantly, um, but that's part of the hustle. Think yeah. of entrepreneurship is you just have to keep up. And I think, you know, depending on what your um, industry is or what service you provide, you know, doing that market research of who your consumer really is what kind of products and services they're actually looking for and where you, you know, you fill that need um, allows you to then focus right. on what aspect of digital marketing or what kind of online presence you have to have because there are so many tools available, mm -hmm. but you don't need all of them. Right. Um, and, you know, for some people, their business is best marketed on Instagram, for example. Mm -hmm. And for others, it's YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, so really think about, like, who's your audience? Where are they going? Um, and what, where, you know, so where's your value add there? Um, where can you meet them where they are? Um, so I think that's number one. But, you know, I, I think the startup space is interesting because, you know, definitively it's not necessarily about tech. 
to be a startup, right? I think the key definition is, are you on a trajectory for exponential growth? And that is that does not have to be a technical space. Mm -hmm. You hear about food startups. You hear about all sorts of different startups. Um, so I think I would empower more business owners to see themselves as playing in the tech space as well um, and to recognize, okay, if you're looking for exponential growth, um, then you need to start seeing yourself more as a startup than, say, a small business. Or if your presence is only online, you don't even have a brick and mortar. Right. Like, maybe you're more a tech-enabled business. And I think, you know, increasingly, as tech is embedded in so much of what we do, pretty much all businesses are tech-enabled businesses. So it's essential to have that awareness. And not to be afraid of the tech, right? Because I right. think there are a lot of entrepreneurs, some entrepreneurs that, that I've met, who have amazing ideas, but they're so afraid to put it out there online, and they don't know how to protect it, they don't know how to promote it, and they themselves aren't sure how to use the, the software. So I think it's great that Google um, has that program. I think other corporations have it as well, so we encourage all entrepreneurs to look at what's gonna make the best fit for them and growth. Absolutely, and specifically for startups, there's a resource called Google for Startups, so mm -hmm. you can look that up, mm -hmm. and it's kind of packaged every element of that, but like you said, Amazon has mm -hmm. a similar suite. I think um, Microsoft um, is getting into that space as well, so yeah, a lot of companies, a lot of resources I wasn't going to name all of the competitors, <laughs> but... <laughs> Use them all. Use them all. Or, or a combination, right? You exactly. got to integrate. Um, so so one, I want to ask you a question just as a patent. Uh, policy analyst and how that plays into your support in, in advising startups. Has that come up and what advice do you give a founder who has an idea that might need to be patented? Um, you know, honestly, that hasn't come up so much for me, oh, interesting. interestingly. But I think what's what's more important to note about the patent space is um, that for startups, I think the biggest, the biggest, you know, there's kind of a debate about whether patenting is actually really helpful for a lot of businesses, even if they do have novel and innovative ideas. Um, but what I've seen in my work more is that small businesses and startups get taken advantage of by loopholes we have in our mm -hmm. system. So I think it's my one piece of advice there is to get into the policy a little bit mm -hmm. and recognize you know, the weaknesses, your vulnerabilities in IP may not be about um, if you have the right patent or if you have the right trademark, but are you empowered to address any litigation challenges that may come up as a result um, or uh, regulatory changes that may, um, that may open you up to, to vulnerabilities? So having that awareness, um, you know, as a business owner, you've got to have your hands in so many pots, but it's also important to have a sense of the regulatory mm -hmm. landscape and and the legal landscape and uh, be protected in that way. So that would be my one general piece of advice on IP. Um, but I would say take advantage of the USPTO's resource offices that they have around the country for aspiring business owners or business owners and entrepreneurs who maybe cannot afford you know, the legal services. Mm -hmm. um, there, are P there are patent advisors at Howard University in DC, for example. Mm -hmm. They have them in every state, and they're there to help you uh, claim your intellectual property rights and, and do it the right way. Another resource is the Beacon Legal Resources Guide mm -hmm. that we have up on our website, and that outlines every pro bono program that you can leverage to uh, get legal services, and they can also help with IP issues. I, I want to go back uh, 
because I want Mac to talk about Baltimore, but I also want to give, just in terms of ecosystems that are doing really well, just give a shout out to those in Atlanta, Catherine Finney and Rodney mm-hmm. Sampson, yes. um, Darshawn Kendrick. You mentioned policy. They're, they're actually helping to change policy to support more entrepreneurs, especially women and people of color, especially those in tech. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. But Mac, do you want to share a little bit about um, Baltimore and what you guys are doing? So I'll make the distinction with Maryland. Sorry. Um, I'm I'd, sorry. I'd be <laughs> I didn't say that, but um, you know, there, I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on in the state of Maryland, and there's a lot of things that's going on concentrated in Baltimore. But very specifically, you know, as I've I've talked about on the show before, you know, in the role that I sit in, um, almost two years ago now, uh, Tedco or the Maryland Technology Development Corporation had a pilot program called the Minority Business Precinct Fund specifically to invest in uh, African-American-led startups, tech companies here in the state of Maryland. Um, That program did exceedingly well. We invested in nine companies, five led by black women, four led by black men, and that transitioned to what we now have as the Builder Fund, which is for any entrepreneur who defines himself as socially or economically disadvantaged in the world of venture capital here who uh, are based here in the state of Maryland where we give entrepreneurs not only funding, but um, executive coaching and access to a group of executives, not to be mentors or advisors, but to actually work in their businesses. These are um, across a a multitude of skill sets so that, you know, when you need to go to a sales meeting, you're not sure what to do, you can take an executive with you. If you need help with your marketing or whatever, there's a CMO there who's there to work with you you know, all within the confines of the funding given from Tenco. And um, we've seen some really incredible results from that. Um, the only thing with that is that's only one program and it's only one part of the ecosystem, right? Um, it was really important to me when Tenco was thinking about how to come up with an initiative was addressing the most earliest stages of funding. And, um, and you know, what I saw, what was, you know, communicated from the community was a lot of uh, minority-led companies weren't able to get to take whole seed funding because they lacked access to friends and family capital to even get started to be competitive. So trying to fill those gaps. And what I've, you know, learned over time as we've gone through this is that, one, there's a lot more sophisticated companies out there than what, you know, people would get you to believe. But even then, even with the companies that are sophisticated, that are growing, they built these unique products, they have customers, there's this lack of, of education and a lack of understanding of how to progress in their businesses. And so I find myself spending the majority of my time just interacting with entrepreneurs, teaching them about what it means to have a high-growth business, what it means to raise money in the form of angel investors or venture capital, what it means to make the decision whether or not that's the right thing for you. Because not everybody, you know, getting venture capital is not the right thing for everybody, no matter how much we hype it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and also understanding what it means to raise a phrase of family. When I've met so many um, black and brown men and women who, have, who come from these illustrious backgrounds with these amazing networks that they've never thought to leverage towards helping to grow their businesses right. because mm-hmm. of a lot of issues within our communities, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, 
I had this woman who was a pediatrician who was working on a company. And I was like, hey, have you ever thought about putting together Friends of Family Round and reaching out to your network? And she looked at me and she's like, the community I come from, the idea of asking for money is a weakness. But why would I go to them and ask them to help me with my business? And that is... It's so true, though. It's it's a mindset that... It's a cultural deficiency, if I can say that. And so, you know, helping entrepreneurs get over those kinds of hurdles um, is what I spend a lot of my time doing. And I'm starting to see more and more organizations doing the same. So, um, but you know... It, it, there's a lot here. There's a lot of people doing the work, but I have to commend you, Erica, for all the work that you're doing with Beacon and, and how you're really, really helping the ecosystem there in D.C. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, and Erica, you ended your article, and I want to read it because I think this really sums up the conversation that we're actually having today and really hit home just, just in terms of being a business owner, in terms of supporting women in tech, um, helping people to find jobs, and then just working alongside you in this ecosystem. So I'm gonna read it. It says, my advice to women in the industry, reach out to a mentor and a sponsor. Mentorship is a start, but actuation occurs with sponsorship. We need to support each other, not just by giving advice, but also by facilitating meaningful connections, brokering disruptive partnerships, forging stronger bonds between us so that we can continue systemic and lasting change. So what did that mean to you when you actually wrote that? So powerful. You know, I was honestly reflecting on my own journey to Beacon and to what it is now and, and the different opportunities that have opened up for me and, and how my focus has shifted in my career. And uh, the key to that transformation, that turning point, was, was having a sponsor and realizing I'd never really had a sponsor before until that moment. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, that meant someone who wasn't just a mentor, who wasn't just willing to give advice and have a, you know, have an honest conversation with me, but put resources behind me, put resources behind that support. And that empowered me to do the same for others in my own life. It really has that ripple effect, not just of one-to-one of paying it forward, but I do feel that it's, it's exponential in that because you realize once you're given those resources or once that world is opened up to you, how a little goes such a long way. Mm-hmm. And so I have so much more to spare than I think. Um, and in terms of meaningful connections, you know, I, to be completely honest, you know, in our community, because of that tokenization, we are so used to a scarcity mindset mm. in mm. that we are protecting what little advantages we're given in these you know, which is a function of, you know, white supremacy and, the, you know, being given scraps and then having to fight over them. Right. Um, and, it's you know, real. we take this, it's in every aspect, you know, of our lives. And it's, it's, it's really difficult to acknowledge, to like say out loud, but even more difficult to overcome because mm-hmm. there is an uncertainty there when we don't hold the power. Absolutely. We are just dealing with scraps. But look at what we've done with them. I know. It goes back to the, you know, the bootstrapping and the growth in our business. It's like, look at what we're doing with mm-hmm. what little we've been given. We've been doing it uh, <laughs> for, centuries. For, for centuries. For centuries. That's what we've been doing, giving scraps. And we just, you know, they say you make lemonade out of lemons. Exactly. We've been doing it for centuries. And one thing I want to commend you on, um, and I've had this discussion with somebody, a friend of mine, back and forth about women of color and how black women get lumped into that whole woman of color. It's like, you know, 
sometimes, you know, we, we, we are forgotten in that pool mm -hmm. as well. And I like the fact that you are speaking of women of color, but you also are still saying, but black women, because we are st still in those numbers of getting investments. We are what, 0.02% mm -hmm. of getting any type of investment. You just read those If you figures. got 0.02 on a test, you would have an F. Exactly. So you get nothing. You get it's nothing. It's statistically insignificant. insignificant. It might as well you, be zero. You get yeah. nothing. And um, I, I commend you for dis distinguishing or pulling that piece out because sometimes we do get lumped together in all these numbers and figures, and then we still get lost. Mm -hmm. So we already get lumped, you know, we get lost with just women, and then you add the women of color, black women get lost in that sea of pool yeah. a lot. And I've noticed that. Thank you. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. absolutely right. And so, you know, if we're able to do that with what little we've been given, then we have so much to give. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I really, when I, when I say facilitating meaningful connections, I say take that risk mm -hmm. of introducing someone to that potential funder. Make that warm introduction. Take that risk because I think that is an empowering act of saying, I believe in you. If you are not willing to make that introduction, you're also saying, I kind of doubt the validity of your business mm -hmm. or I kind of doubt the quality of mm -hmm. your, your work. Right. So take that risk to empower that person. And I think that also encourages people to step up their game as well. So I think it has a ripple effect um, and not just sharing benefits, but also having us really level up. All right. Hashtag level up. Exactly. Hashtag level up. So, Mac, do you have any last questions for Erica? I don't have any more. I don't have any more questions. Uh, I think it's more, you know, to her her last point, you know, being brave—not even being brave, but making sure that as we invite people to the dance, you know, we're making sure we're opening doors and making sure the right people are at the table, right? Mm -hmm. um, so many. There are so few of us who have access to certain tables. In certain doors, and we like, and sometimes we we like to be the token. Sometimes we like to be the only one. We sometimes do. we like That's to feel right. special. That's true. That's and making sure that you're not, you know, mm -hmm. making sure you're bringing mm -hmm. other people in, making sure you're sure. you're exposing people and giving people, and and leveraging your own access for others. Mm -hmm. Amen. Right. That's um, I think that I think that's a key distinction in what Erica just brought out, and, and making sure that we we all live by that, right? Like, right. you know, if there's if there's a big event going on or some key thing going on that you know was invite only, get somebody you know an extra invite. Mm -hmm. We all do it. You know? Absolutely. So yeah. I think in 2019, that should be something that we all strive to do more of. Mm -hmm. Well, in 2019, as Erica said, it is the year of uh, the woman in tech, and we're all going to support that. So, Erica, you may not play sports, but you're definitely in the game. So I want to say that to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you being here. So for our listeners, I just want to summarize. You know, Erica shared her first. She shared her cross-functional, cross-industry, cross-international journey to Google and then founding Beacon. You know, Beacon is on a mission to help more women entrepreneurs through access to capital, access to resources, business strategy and development, and educating the next generation, which is so important. A few points that Erica made was leverage the corporations and local government to support, elevate, and amplify more voices. Mm -hmm. she, she really hit that there are voices out there, but sometimes they're often silenced, and so we need to think more creatively. She also said funders should take a risk and get active in supporting the initiatives that they fund. Don't just give the money. Give your time. Give your thought. 
Also, honor every type of worker. We talk about, let's not pigeonhole people. They're entrepreneurs, they're aspiring entrepreneurs, mature entrepreneurs, creatives, women in corporate jobs. We need to honor and support all of them. Another point was relationships are important, but let's use our relationships to sponsor and help others' visions come to life. And we talked about Erica's prediction of, of women in tech and, and how that's gonna grow. And some of that growth is driven by 250 black women start businesses a day. And there's a 377% growth that we've seen across the board, not just black women, but women in general, Latina women, Asian women, white women are truly kicking butt. We've seen that in all aspects and we wanna continue to do so. And how do we do that? One is resist the urge to tokenize. Take it to the next level, bring other people along. The entire ecosystem is needed to make things happen. Let's help each other and also hold each other accountable. And as, and as an entrepreneur, participate in classes hosted by technology companies to learn how to promote, optimize, and grow your business. Erica mentioned that 80% of, of uh, people buying, of commerce is done online. So increase your services for booking online. 77% of youth are buying online. You do not want to miss out. Make sure your business is mobile ready. And I'll also add voice enabled. Um, also, have a sense of the regulatory landscape. You can take advantage of the USTPO resources, the, the resources on Beacon Site for Legal. Uh, and lastly, key to transformation is having a sponsor who puts resources behind that support. We challenge you all to start facilitating more meaningful connections and brokering disruptive partnerships. So thanks for joining us today. Make sure you check out our website at getfoundgetfunded.com. Sign up for our newsletter and check us out on social media. And I gotta ask, Erica, where can we find you? Yes. At Erica Shimizu, spelled E-R-I-K-A-S-H-I-M-I-Z-U. And check out Beacon's work at thebeacondc.com. Great, thank you. Thank you so much for thank having you. me.